really hard times, and he used to call it the pit's luck. <laughs> I mean, he was saying it uh, quite a bit. It's like pit's luck, meaning something bad's going to happen or something bad has happened. Well, it's inevitable. Everything's working against us. And so I actually, that was, it's interesting, but it, that was instilled in me. And when I went off to work and started a family and things, I carried that into my life a little bit until I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I, and that wasn't right away, but later on I began to realize this isn't how I'm supposed to lead life. Jesus has called us to an abundant life. Well, living a life, what we're talking about, doesn't seem very abundant if you're describing life that way. But it's quite common because Jesus also said, in me you will have peace, but in the world you'll have trouble, tribulation. But be in good cheer, I've overcome the world. And then there's other scriptures that teach us we're, gonna, we're supposed to overcome the world. And so today we're going to talk about the life of David. And not only is he known as a man after God's own heart, he's known as an overcomer. And we're going to look at different slices of David's life and see what characteristics he displays that would tell us that we also can become overcomers. Adversity will come, but that's okay. God will get us through it. And so we're going to turn, so we'll start with chapter 11, because that's, that's the, where we are in this series. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, and in verse 32 is where uh, David is addressed. So I'll just read it to you. Oh, it's up there on the screen, I think, if you know. Then it's not, oh, it's not up there on the screen. Sorry, I took that one out. I wanted to read. I want to hear my own voice for a second. And what more should I say? For the time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. So David is described, and it's interesting in my Bible, I have a little subheading. And starting just in verse 30, mine says, by faith they overcame. So this little section is kind of focused on those people in the hall of faith that were known as kind of overcomers. And David is listed there. Now, not to try to get you flipping around too much, but our, our verse today that we're going to be our anchor verse is going to be 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. That one's up there. <laughs> and if we can read that together. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, what a wonderful anchor verse for us to end this series with because this is telling us we can overcome the world 
by our faith in Jesus. And so for us not to have this perspective that the world is going to overcome us, instead, we are to stand firm in our faith and trust and belief in who God is. Also embedded in here is another thing, and that is we should have a right idea and perspective of who we are as children of God and that we don't want the world to distort that from us. And uh, actually the word overcome means to prevail over forces that are coming against you. So what a better way to say that that's what we want to make sure we do. Jesus says trouble will come upon us, but I've overcome the world. I equip you to overcome the world. So keep that as the foundational thought as we go through this, and then as we go through and look at the life of David. So uh, the life of David is in, um, it's, it's the second part of 1 Samuel. It's in all of 2 Samuel. It's in the first part of 1 Kings and in the first part of 1 Chronicles. So we're going to go through all of that today. No, we're not. No. <laughs> but what we're really saying is, there's a lot written about him. I encourage you to read some of those. He had a full life, and, and as um, when Paul was praying, he had a life filled with adversity, but he overcame all that through his faith and trust in his walk with the Lord. Um, but what we are going to do is take three little slices out of David's life, and we're going to look at them together. And the first slice is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And just a little background. So in each one of these little sections, I'm going to give you a little background. So we're at a point in the nation of Israel when they had come to God and said, we want a king. We want to be like the other countries. We want to be ruled by a king. There's a lot of background in there we're not going to go through. But they wanted a king. The first king that was chosen was King Saul. And King Saul was a man's man, a statue statue a big statured man. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and so he was really thought of as kind of a warrior king from the standpoint that he would, he, men followed him because of his stature and who he was. So, but Saul had one major default in his, or def, bad def, character. defect, character defect, thank you. That's why I have this front row here to keep me going. Uh, character defect. And that was that he was disobedient to God. And with Saul, there was a prophet named Samuel. Samuel would interface with God, talk to, to Saul, and encourage Paul, or Saul to, uh, to, to stay close to God and be obedient with God. And what Saul would do is he would be partially obedient. Like he'd get an 80% or an 85%. Well, in school, that's a B. You may think you're okay. With God, partial obedience is disobedience. And Samuel made that clear to him. And so what happened is God said to Samuel, tell Saul, I am pulling the kingdom away from him. I am not going to let him be king anymore. And I want you, Samuel, to go and anoint a man after my own heart. And so he, uh, God directed Samuel to go to the house of Jesse. And he said, I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons 
as king. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house. The seven sons are lined up. And Samuel looks at them and says, wow, the first one's the one. Why? He looked kind of like Saul. Big, statuesque guy, big, muscular guy, a leader of men, the way it appeared. But God convicted Samuel and said, no, you look at the appearance of man. I look at the heart. And I pause there just for a second because some of us may look around and say, who am I? Um, you know, I don't, have, I don't have necessarily good looks. I don't necessarily have good strength. I don't have the personal char- physical characteristics. And God's, it doesn't matter. God looks at what? The heart. And so for us, it's all about relationship and having in a heart that's surrendered to God and willing to be used by God and that is in love with God and has the same desires that God has. So that's what God is looking for. He looked for that for the person to be king. He also looks for that in our life as well. So all of a sudden, David and Samuel is going through the seven, seven sons that were presented to him, and God doesn't choose any of them. And Samuel's be- bewildered, and he goes, Jesse, you have any more sons? And he goes, well, I have the, the little guy that's out mend, manding, manning the sheep and uh, taking care of the sheep. And he's kind of like, you almost get the feeling, it's like, surely not him. And Samuel goes, no, call him in. And he calls him in from the fields. And sure enough, God says, he's the man. Anoint him as king. So Samuel anoints David as king. And David, um, the Holy Spirit, it says in, in uh, 1 Samuel, the Holy Spirit descended upon David and was prevalent in David from that moment on. So we have an anointing. And so to David, he's now promised to be king. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. But actually nothing changes in his life. He's going to eventually be sent back out to the fields. But a couple of things I want to point out. How old was David when he was anointed king? Somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. So I do actually look at all you young people, and I say, young people, pay attention. God uses you. He looks at your heart, and he's saying to all of you, I can use you in the kingdom of God just like I can use an older, more mature person. I say to us older, more mature people, don't let us judge the young people. It's all about the heart. And God can use and accomplish mighty things through young people just as much as he can through us that are older. So just kind of keeping that perspective. So that's slice number one of David's life. He's anointed to be king. He's given the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, is his, high, is his Holy Spirit that was given to him any different than the Holy Spirit that is in us that we believe? Same Holy Spirit. So when we see the things that get David accomplishes, remember, that is also through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so keep that in mind as well. And so um, when we, now we're going to go to 
slice number two of David's life. And I'll give you a little background on that too. So slice number two is one chapter over. We were in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, now we're in chapter 17. And slice number two relates to the story of David and Goliath, who we've all heard this story many times. But what I'd like to do is pause today as we go into it and look at the spiritual significance of this encounter between David and Goliath. And um, because it's relevant to us, as in, especially from the perspective of being an overcomer. Um, so the situation here is David's still been in the fields. He's still subject to Jesse. Jesse commands him to go and take provisions to, his th to three of his brothers that are serving in the army of Saul. So David comes up to make the delivery, and all of a sudden he's confronted with this big ordeal that's going on right before his eyes. And that ordeal is, is the army of Israel is on one hill, the army of the Philistines is on the other hill, and what the Philistines are doing is they're sending, <coughs> excuse me, their champion down, and this champion's name is Goliath. Now, Goliath is a little tiny intimidating. He's nine feet tall. His armor weighs 125 pounds. <coughs> he is an intimidating guy. And uh, so you can kind of understand why the army, uh, some of the army of, of the Israelites are intimidated. However, what is Goliath doing? He is defying the army of God he is insulting the army of God. So effectively, he's insulting God. David, a man after God's own heart, David, a man that has now been anointed with the Holy Spirit, is seeing this and he is bewildered why nobody will accept the challenge and go down and fight Goliath. So I'm going to read just a few verses out of chapter 17. I want you to get the heart that David has. I want you to also be sensitive to the faith that David has because David isn't going to go down and face Goliath because of his own self-confidence or he wants to show off or wants to do something on his own. You're going to see it's because of his understanding of who he is in Christ, <clears throat> who the nation of Israel is in Christ. You might give me a little water there. Thank you. And then, um, so, so just listen to these verses a little bit. David is, as I said, he's hearing all this, and he's going to different people in the army. The army's all around there, and he's just speaking to all these guys. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Now, uncircumcised in that case means just these are people that have designated that, uh, uh, to be, they're in opposition against God, God's people, and God's uh, will. And so, and David used the words, defy the army of the living God. That actually goes back to Deuteronomy. He knows that the army of the living God means God is real. God is active. And God has what? Remember when we did Abraham? 
He's made a covenant with the nation of Israel. And he has called the nation of Israel to be a sep out separated, to be bring glory to God and to be under God's protection and God's guidance. And in that same, if you remember that covenant we talked about, it says, I'll bless, God saying, I'll bless those who bless you, nation of Israel. I'll curse those who curse you, nation of Israel. The Philistines are cursing the nation of Israel. So God is obligated to protect them, but somebody's got to stand up and call on God and be under the influence of the power of God. That's David. David, so King Saul hears about everything going on, and he calls David to him. And he said, what's this you're talking about? And so then in verse 32, David responds to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath, him, your servant, meaning me, David, I'll go out and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, so Saul hadn't gotten any faith, the faith yet that David has, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him for you're a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. So he's telling David, you don't know anything about battle. And by this time, actually, David's probably around 18 or 19 years old. The word youth at that point means somebody that's not age 20, or it's, it's right up close to age 20. So David's probably 18 or 19. Saul's telling him, you're not equipped to go do this. Here's how David responds. Your servant, meaning himself, has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the army of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So we're talking, in this case, spiritually speaking, the world is coming against the nation of Israel. It's the world that's opposing what God is trying to accomplish. And Goliath and the nation of, Phil of the Philistines represent that opposition against God and his people. David recognizes that. And David knows, I will be delivered from this. So when we talked earlier about an attitude of all of these characteristics that I said you, don't, you have, may have in your mind, that's kind of a defeated attitude. David's saying army of Israel, you're acting like you're defeated. You're sitting there, and it even describes that they were trembling, and they were worried, and nobody would go out. So David's saying, this is wrong. God has called us under his power and authority to go out and to overcome the things of the world that come up against us. And so we know that David um, comes out to battle, because King Saul says, okay, go ahead. I don't have anybody else. You go get him. And uh, I, I have to read this part because I always like it. Goliath looks at him, and he's insulted. Why is he insulted? you got this little guy coming out. He doesn't have a spear. He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have anything except for a sling. And uh, so he's insulted. And so he continues, Goliath continues, and he says to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David and his gods. And remember what I said about cursing. 
David responds. So David's now in the midst of the battle, still professing his faith in God. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the name of the Lord God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And that is exactly what David did. And then the nation, the army of Israel, routed the Philistines as a result of that. So kind of slice number two is reminding us the world's going to come up against us, reminding us we're children of God, reminding us the promise of God that God has made to us, and that Jesus says, I've overcome the world. You can overcome the world. Now, overcome the world means we're still in adversity, we still have trouble, but God will get us through. And we shouldn't have this defeated, overwhelmed attitude that burdens us. In fact, Jesus says, come to me all who are burdened and I will refresh you. So don't let the world overcome you. Begin to go, draw close to God. And remember, our strength doesn't come to overcome, isn't found in ourselves. It's found in the faith that we have in Jesus. That's very consistent with for our, our anchor verse. Um, if you want to put the anchor verse up there one more time. Everyone who's been born of God, born of God, when we're born of God, what happens? We've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit comes into us, and Jesus said we're reborn. So we're born of God. We can overcome the world, and the victory comes through our faith in Christ. So keeping that anchor verse kind of in front of us. So that's slice number two. Slice number three. Slice number three is a little different. So now I'll give you a little background before I tell you what slice number three is. Slice number three is, the background is that um, David finally, well, let me give you, I'll go all the way. After Goliath, David became a, a, a leader in Saul's army. And David had victory after victory after victory. And in doing so, the people began to love David. Saul became jealous. Saul wanted to kill David. So David had to flee, and he went into exile, effectively, running from, his, from Saul, who had an army trying to capture him and kill him. But now this is kind of an interesting part to life. So faith, we also have to have faith in the biggest trials and the biggest adversities that come up against us. So David is facing tremendous adversity. And he was running from Saul for 10 years. But when you look at David's life during that 10 years, his relationship with the Lord grew intimately. His prayer life was exceptional. God sent hundreds of people to go to David he built an army of over 600 men. He became a leader of men. And he was demonstrated to all of them. It was all about God and faith in God and trust in God. So he is character and his intimate relationship with the Lord is being built during this 10 years of adversity. Why? God is preparing David to be king. Just like God will prepare us in difficult times, if we stay close to him, he will equip us 
for difficult times and to be prepared for the good times so we can be used by God to accomplish his purposes. So, David becomes king. He becomes a good king. And he actually brings the nation of Israel to unity. First time they've been really unified with all these loose tribes. And he brings them to become a power in the whole world at this point in time under his leadership. So great things are happening. David builds, uh, and, and I want to make sure we're clear, David, even in all the triumphs and all the success, he's, there's numerous things where he is praising God, giving God glory, and he is a man truly with God's heart. And even he wants to build a temple for God. And God honors David by saying, through your lineage, the Messiah will come. So God is, and, and, and David is still in intimate relationship with him. But then as you keep reading, there comes this period when David seems to get relaxed. He quits going out to battle with his men. And my words, and when you read commentaries and some things, seems fairly clear to me, he quit abiding. He became self-focused for this season in his life. So what happens to him? So this slice of the pie is not too pretty. David, everybody, the men are all out at battle. David's left alone. He's kind of idle. So he's walking on his rooftop, and he looks down, and he sees um, a woman bathing. He can look down at her rooftop. She's out there bathing on the rooftop. And he is attracted to her. Now, as the opposite of what Joseph did with Potiphar's wife, David lusts after Bathsheba, and that's the name of the lady that was bathing. And how do we know that? Because the very next day, he called for her, brought her in, and had relations with her. So we have a king that just is coveting somebody else's wife. Number two, just committed adultery. And number three, she sends him a message a little bit later, says, I'm pregnant. So David's like, uh-oh, I'm the king. This is not good. It was actually in the nation of Israel, that could be a sentence for death. So David decides to help God out, and he's going to do what? He tries to cover it up. So he, he goes and he calls the husband. The husband's name is Uriah, calls him back from the battle. Ironically, and the sad part, even sadder to me is that Uriah was one of, of David's mighty men. He was one of his loyalist subjects, and he calls him back, and to show the honor of him, David tries to call him back. Why? Because he wants him to go home to his wife and have relations with her so they can cover up this pregnancy. And um, instead, Uriah is so honorable, he says, Lord, I can't go to my house when my cohorts, my other warriors that are out there, they're at battle, I'm not going to my house. Well, David gets him drunk and tries to get him to go, and he still doesn't go. So the deception is terrible, what he's doing. And he, David gives up on that plan, and then things get worse. He sends Uriah back to the battle, and he organizes with the general to put Uriah in the worst possible battle place, and then he has the troops the, Israeli, the, the, the nation of Israel troops pull back and leave him uncovered, and he's killed. So now we have murder on top of this. So 
This has been a man after God's own heart. This has been a man that is loyal and in love with God, but he lost his way. Now, nine months go by. David has not confessed his sin. And God gets the, the prophet Nathan to come to him and confront him with this. Now, this is where the character of David really begins to come back and shine. He didn't argue with Nathan. He didn't debate Nathan. He didn't try to make excuses. He didn't try to defend himself. You can see the depth of David's remorse as he's confronted with this. Now, if you want to read about that, it's Psalm 51, David's confession of his sin. However, in that confession, David says, Lord, if you forgive me, I want to teach others not to fall into the trap that I fell into. And so he wrote Psalm 32. And in Psalm 32, we're just going to take a little slice of Psalm 32, because I will say an overcomer is somebody that may fall into sin. And we will sin. We will have sin in our life, but how we handle it is so important. And so David wants to teach us this because an overcomer will repent and be restored back to God when circumstances, when sin happens in our life. So David wants us to understand this. So if you turn with me to Psalm 32... Psalm 32 is right before Psalm 33. <laughs> I always want to be helpful. Um, I'm going to start with verse 3 and 4. So remember, this isn't a psalm of confession. Some people think it is, but it's not. It's a psalm of instruction. David wrote this so we would know things and learn from his lesson. Verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. So David is describing this overwhelming sense of burden because he didn't confess his sin. Think about it. Physically, his strength was zapped from him. His mind was overwhelmed with guilt. The Holy Spirit, when it says his hand was heavy on him, the Holy Spirit was convicting him of sin. But David ignored it. Now, I submit to us, we can do the same things. And David's going to point out the danger of this. What do we do? If we sin... Sometimes we turn to other things, too. We turn to worldly things. Sometimes you, you become a workaholic. Sometimes you uh, get into drugs and alcohol. Sometimes I know people that run into shopping therapy. I mean, they're truly all kinds of things. You want to distract yourself so much from this that you're going to get involved with so many other things, and it's primarily worldly things. So the great caution here is 
Don't try to cover up your sin and don't try to run from it. And David's going to point out why in just a second because we'll get lost in that world. You're trying to numb the effects of the sin and you're trying to numb the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a dangerous thing to do. So David is saying, how distasteful. And I think the words I had in here were, it is overwhelming and... Unrepented sin can be devastating, overwhelming, and exhausting. So there are consequences to unrepented sin, but we're going to see the beauty of our God in just a second. So that's verses 3 and 4. Verse 5, this is David talking. I acknowledge my sin to you, God, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Just remember, God is always ready to forgive us. And it is a magnificent thing. There are two things that happen when you sin. You run away from God and you run toward the world, or you run toward God and ask for forgiveness. And David's describing the beauty and magnificence of running toward God for forgiveness because God is ready to forgive us. And... Um, and then he goes into verse 6. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. And the cause I haven't gone over yet. But the cause is actually verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is whose, he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. The word blessed there means happy, joyful. If you want to... You know, you can go get books. How do you be happy? I'm telling you. David says it right here. If you want to be happy, confess your sins. Be restored to God. And the reason he's happy, that person is happy, he's been restored. God's forgiven him. God's covered up. Jesus' righteousness has covered that sin. God doesn't even see it anymore. We are fully restored into relationship with God so there is great reason to be happy and joyful when you confess to God because He will forgive us and restore us. And it's as if it didn't happen. Now, David had consequences, so I'm not minimizing that. But even God got him through all those things. So we get through the end, and it's a beautiful, magnificent thing to be restored into relationship with God. And David's saying, For this cause, to be happy, be restored, he who is godly should pray. So God, Jesus, uh, David is reminding us, when we sin, when we're going through life, things happen. Always be in prayer. Go intimate to God. One of the things that David did, he always had an intimacy with God and would confess him, confess everything to him. Because it says in here, be authentic. Maybe make, make sure you're confessing everything. Don't hold anything back. And if you look at uh, David's Psalms, he expressed all that. It was magnificent how he would praise God, how he would confess to God, and how he acknowledged he was healed by God through confession. So as we, as we wrap up, the life of David can be seen that he had lots of adversity, but he always stayed in faith and close relationship with God. And when he fell off the edge, now I want to make sure everybody understands, 
he sinned with adultery, covetousness, and murder. Most of us in here are not that way. But are you a gossip? Are you a slanderer? Do you do things that are also sinful nature that could affect your relationship with God? That's what this is about. So his examples are huge. But our relationship with God can still be hindered by little sins that we do. Little, but it's still a sin, and sin is still in magnitude in relation to God. So I just encourage you, always pray. That's what David's saying. Go to God and pray daily about things that are happening in your life and know that God will forgive you and restore you and then equip you through faith to overcome anything that the world is presenting up against you. So, reminder of David, if you can put uh, Psalm uh, 1 John 5 back up again. Everyone who's born, born of God, which is all of us who believe in Christ, we overcome the world. The victory we have comes to us through faith in Christ and faith in that God, we can stand on God's promises and faith that God, if we do sin, will fully restore us back into relationship and forgive us of our sin. We have a loving God that wants us to be in relationship and wants us to be equipped to overcome the world and not be overburdened by it. So with that, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that um, you are so gracious and kind to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God that loves us. You're the God that has made sacrifice for us, that you have called us into relationship with you, that you have called us to realize that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can overcome this world. And we can overcome the things that come up against you and your people and us in particular. So we pray, Father, that you open our spiritual eyes, that you continue to equip us in ways, Lord, that we can do good work for you. And we thank you, Father, for being a part of this church that believes in your word and trusts in you. And I pray, Father, that all of us continue to experience you in such a way that uh, we are encouraged and our faith is built in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you do and who you are and who we are in you. May we never forget that. In your name, Jesus, amen.